en hartelike goeie morgen, welkom by ons program Skriftierlik, waar ons wekelik saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, Ie woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na Ie woord. En Psalm 119, 105 sê, Ie woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te schijn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Krij dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skriftierlik. Gee jou geloof vleels, ontdek die lewe saam met 657 AM. Discover the life with 657 AM, the program scriptural where we search the scriptures, where we search for life, the oracles of God, where we search the word. Good morning to you, my brother, my sister, wherever you are. Hartelike goeiemorgen, lekker om saam met jou te kan keir, abosheni, molweni, dumilang, sanbonani, and uh, I know there's a couple of other languages left as well, but, uh, well, sitting opposite, across me this morning, and faithfully as ever, on his post, the uh, Rocky Stevenson, Pastor Rocky Stevenson from Benoni Bible Church. Rocky, good morning to you and welcome. Good morning, Benant so good to be here. We praise God that He has given us one more opportunity to be part of Skriftierlik. And to share the gospel. Amen. This is the program. If you've got a question with regards to God's Word, maybe a lifestyle question, then uh, you can post your questions to us here in studio 082-657-2729, the very well-known WhatsApp number in studio. You steer it for us, dear. And so the Skriftgedeelte ook by, wat moendlik vir jou onzekerheid is, en ons onderzoek saam met jou die skrifte. It's 8 minutes after 11 o'clock on this, the first day of August. It's cold, but our hearts are warm here in studio, en terwyl jy saam luister vir oogend. Kan ek vir jou vraag, if you're just listening to the program, to please pray for Rocky, that what he shares with you would be God's undiluted word, that it would be God's spirit leading us, and that we would not be in the flesh. Can I ask you to intercede, pray, stand in the gap for us this morning as we bring this program to you and that would God through his spirit would glorify magnify himself and touch hearts bring restoration bring healing bring the undiluted word of the Lord Skriftierlik this what ons doen hier Rocky want to start we had a very interesting discussion in office right before coming to studio and before I go to the very first question this morning uh, that uh, we received from a listener, and I think that is Heike that sent that through to us. Uh, I want to touch on something else, and that is Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Rocky, is it possible that we can be deceived in following another Jesus, another gospel? Is it possible that we as men and women can concoct some kind of God that's comfortable with our lifestyles, our sins, and that we think, well, I'm actually okay, whilst we are blinded and deceived. Is that possible? What does the Word of God say? Does it even say there is another Jesus, another gospel? Yeah, so um, there in the passage you mentioned in Second Corinthians 11, Paul actually says in verse 3, But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity and purity 
of devotion to Christ. And so if the Apostle Paul actually had that fear with the church at Corinth, then indeed I think that that is something of a reality even in our day. The, the, ser- the serpent, uh, you know, the evil one is still at work striving to get people deceived. And he says here he deceived Eve with his craftiness, and he says that he'll do this with your minds. And so the real battleground that Paul speaks of is the mind. And then in verse 4 he says, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach. And so there's the important aspect. The Jesus that is preached within the scriptures is in alignment with apostolic teaching. That's the Jesus that is the Jesus of the Bible. If you come with some other Jesus and you have a definition of a Jesus that does not fit the definition that you find in the 27 books of the New Testament, that's when you're in trouble. And that's a Jesus that that Satan would put forward Yeah. because he would want you to have a different Jesus so that you have a different gospel. Because if you have a different Jesus, then you don't have the same gospel message. And then Paul says in verse 4 as well, and he says, if there's a different Jesus that we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you did not receive, or a different gospel which you did not accept, you bear this beautifully. And he's basically saying to them, this is what you guys are busy doing at Corinth, and this is a problem that we have. Now, Paul mentions a different gospel um, that was given to those that were at Galatia, and he says this in, in Galatians one six. I marvel that you so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. In other words, he's saying there is no other thing than the true gospel, but you guys are giving yourself to this thing that's actually different than what we have given to you altogether. And the problem there in Galatia was that there were some that were coming in and they were polluting the gospel. They were saying it's the gospel, but you need the gospel plus this You need the gospel plus works. You need to have the gospel plus Judaism. You need to actually still add to the circumcision, and you need to add to this the feasts. You need to add to this all of these different things. Get some tassels to hang from your side. You You need to add to the gospel because the gospel's not just, it's not enough. And then he says, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we proclaim to you, let him be accursed. And that's what that's what the reality is. If we even have an angel with arms that, you know, let's say wings that span nine feet, but mm. comes with a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let him be it's accursed. interesting you mentioning an angel here, because the Bible says, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan masquerades himself yes. as an angel of light to deceive yes. us. I recently asked somebody, how come you say you're Christian, but you cuss like a trooper? And, and and the person took offense, recently forwarded me a whole uh, WhatsApp thing about why, uh, you know, God is comfortable with his cussing. Yet Colossians 3.8 says, you know, swear words shouldn't come. I'm just using that as an example. Yes. I'm asking, is it possible? How would I even know if I'm... Am I not the one who's deceived? Uh, how would I know that, mm. that you know, I'm following the real gospel, the real Jesus, the, the real word of God, yeah. and, and that I'm not, you know, deceived by, by the angel of light, so, so to speak? 
Yeah, and I think that that is where Paul gives us this distinctive, even there in Galatians as well as in Second Corinthians, and he gives us the, the, the key to this, and he says, if this is different to what we have taught to you, if you're coming along with something other than, and that's even the, the key passage that, that we have often mentioned in Acts with regard to the Bereans and being good Bereans and going and searching the Scriptures. The Scriptures are absolutely absolutely in alignment with themselves the problem is not with the clarity of the scriptures the problem is with our understanding and our uh, ability to actually trust ourselves above god's word and to think that we might have the answer more than what god does and so we have the scriptures we have the 66 books of the bible to go and make a study of within their context within the genre that it was given and we also have the church of the lord jesus christ i preached on this on sunday evening in our joint evening service with grace primrose and calvary baptist what a wonderful evening we had of worshiping the lord together as those three churches and i preached on matthew 16 where jesus says i will build my church we have the church of god we have been called out from this world and into the church of christ and in that church of christ he gives um, he gives gifts to that church. He gives those that are teachers. He gives those that are preachers, those that are pastors within the body of Christ, those that are deacons, those that yeah. are members in that body. And so we have a body of Christ to actually come and look at and go. And this is something that I've even taught when it comes to a preaching class. And I teach the, the men this, and I did this over YouTube, um, and it's available there. But what I would say to them is you go and you do your manuscript first when you're working on the passage that you're working on. But then go and check it with reliable Bible teachers to see, did you come up with something new? Because there's nothing new under the sun. So we check our we check the Scripture with the Scripture, but we also check, well, God has given us gifted preachers that, that work within the Brothers the and sisters around Brothers us. and sisters. And we can actually work together with each other to see, am I actually seeing this right? Am I seeing this wrong? Am I out of place? And, and a story comes to mind when I was in the pastor in Middleburg at Middleburg Baptist Church, and this was probably a good 10 years ago now. I preached a sermon where I was, I was preaching on uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, and there was a certain section that I was preaching on, and one of the ladies who was a dear saint in the Lord there and mature in the Lord came to me afterwards, and she said, wow, I have never heard that explanation before of that passage. And she was actually complimenting me for the sermon. And it bugged me so much that day that I thought to myself, how is it that this saint who has walked with the Lord so long has never, ever heard this thing that I was talking about this day in my sermon? And I went home and I started studying and I realized, oh, boy, I just said something that wasn't biblical. That's wow. why this person heard something that they never heard before. Yeah. And the next week I needed to confess that before the congregation and say, please, would you forgive me? I've said something last week that actually was not biblical. And I think we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God to work in us. And if we say something outside of what the apostles have said in the New Testament or outside of what the Bible teaches, we need to be very careful. Right. With that being said, be careful that you don't create a God in your mind which is comfortable with your lifestyle and your sin, and that we search ourselves daily. Search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Right. We received an email. Rocky, you actually had forwarded this to me. It says, Good day, presenter and pastor. I have left the church where I was an elder because we don't have a shepherd or a minister. So we as a church council took churches to preach. I was preaching about sin, and we as leaders must lead by example. Then the following week, Another elder preached and said that we should be careful what we preach because we chase people away from the church uh, because smoking is no sin and drinking uh, uh, after that. So uh, 
Would you care to just elaborate on that uh, that email that you received? Yes. Um, so that was one of the questions we got last week that we didn't yet uh, we didn't actually get a chance to to answer yet. So we're thankful for that for that question. So we we give thanks to the Lord for that. And then there was a second part we just asked about the Book of Philemon. All oh, right. And um, so so firstly, you know, this is quite a a WhatsApp is difficult sometimes to fully get the the, the major context of what has been said, and uh, we we are thankful for that concern as even the question. And there must have been some major challenges that were facing you at that point when you now have preached on sin the one week you don't have a pastor that's there, you're a, a church council, probably a number of different elders that are part of this. I would assume that this was very likely an Angli, uh, let's say rather um, um, an Enchia church or a Presbyterian church because they will generally have multiple elders that are working together. And so just based on, on the question that got sent through, as believers we must approach even conflict. When you've got one elder that preaches the one week and preaches something completely different to what you did, then you have a moment of conflict. And how do we approach that? We do that with love, with humility, with biblical wisdom. And uh, Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called sons of God or children of God. And and so it's important to have that element of seeking peace with one another. But as leaders inside of the church, we we have Christ who is our great example in that sense. But we also need to be those that do really address sin. And we must do this in a way that is honoring to the Lord. And and so a place that I would go to is something like First Timothy 3 verse 1 to 7, Titus chapter 1, when you think about the qualifications of elders, because now you're dealing with an individual that is different from the rest of the membership within a congregation. Yeah. You're on this council together. You're both elders. One elder is preaching on sin the one week. The other elder is preaching on, uh, well, just licentiousness the next week. And so you have this tension within this body of Christ. And so First Timothy 3, 1 to 7 says, It is a trustworthy saying, If a man appear, um, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil." And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall in, into reproach and the snare of the devil. And then again, Titus 1 verse 5 to, to 9 is a, another passage that is, is so critical. But then when you think about this, and I think this is where the, the critical point comes, and I, and I know that I'm just basing this off of a WhatsApp that was sent. I, I don't think it was the wisest or most biblical thing for this man to step out of that church and to step out of that position of an elder. And why I say that is that, that the church needs godly men that are willing to stand upon the scriptures, and there's oftentimes testing that would come. And that church needs you as that elder more than what they need you with your namesake. And they need you to stand. And so there's the sheep that you are caring for. Now, there may be some tensions, and if you have this man preaching a different thing the next week, I don't think it should be the man that was standing on the Scriptures who steps back. Can we bring in Peter here, that with all the best intentions in the world, says to the Lord Jesus, 
I will not let you go to Jerusalem to be crucified. Yes. You're right there uh, in Matthew 16, right after the passage I preached on Sunday. You're right. And Jesus, and Jesus says, says, get, get ye, me, Satan. Satan. Yep. If he decided to walk out of the church, what would have, you know, we yes. would have lost out on something major. There, no, for sure. It? And um, you know, another passage that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 to 14, which says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And there's the balancing element the balance, of that yeah. with, with yeah. that. And so, so I do think, and, and I mean, I, I, I know that I, I need to be sensitive to the fact that we, we're not sure exactly the, the context, but it would seem that, that we have a situation where a man has now stepped out from being an elder of the church because of this conflict with an elder that has actually come and preached something that was not true the next week. Yeah. And, and I think in moments like that, we need to really trust the Lord to give us strength and and have an attitude that either they're going to kick me out because I'm standing on God's word, or that individual is going to end up leaving because I'm going to keep on preaching God's word and I'm not going to step back from preaching God's word. Now that doesn't mean that there's you know there, there may have been way lots of other tensions that were happening at that point, and especially considering the way that the the WhatsApp was sent in the sense that that church didn't have a pastor at that point. Yeah, yeah. And so th- that's a real difficult time for a congregation. When a congregation doesn't have a pastor and that there's multiple elders and there's multiple men that are preaching in the pulpit at different times, uh, we really need to seek the face of the Lord and realize that the evil one seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will come for a church like that and seek to actually like throw it off completely. And so that's that's some of my thinking in regard to this. I think that uh, that the Lord obviously has his way and, um, of course, you know anything that we have done in the past as well he uses for his glory yeah. and for our good we must go to him even our brokenness yes and we need to ask him please lord help us that we that we would um, be those that would stand against wolves that would stand against false teachers in the congregation you know you got Matthew 7:15 which says beware of the false prophets who come in, as in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves we must give no room for a ravenous wolf within the congregation of the Lord. Right. There's a different way that we deal with a wolf compared to how we would deal with a sheep. And I do think that we've been almost moved into passivity too often where we shouldn't. And we think that that is what is most biblical. Yeah. Our Lord Jesus took a whip into the Temple Mount. And there were probably up to 100,000 people in the Temple Mount at that point, And he chased the money changers out. And he said, you will not make my father's house this den of robbers. Yeah. You know, and I think that there's a tremendous manliness that is a godly manliness when it comes to truth and when it comes to standing against those that are false teachers. Now, that's a very different way that we would deal with a false teacher compared yeah. to how we would deal with a sheep. Yeah. The sheep need that gentleness. They need gentle correction. They need working with. The love but if, but if yeah. you have a man that stands up in the pulpit and says, no, we can all drink and smoke and cuss. Yeah, and uh, nobody should stand in the pulpit and say otherwise. Yeah, that's a man you take on. Because the sentence that follow right on that is, "Who? How dare you judge me? How, how dare you? Visye on my oordeel." And I mean, that's exactly why uh, James would even say in James three that not many of you should seek to be teachers. Yeah, because you you will be judged even more heavily. But all the more if you're an elder in that type of a church. To stand firmly upon God's word, relying on the work of the Holy Spirit to help cleanse out. You know, you think of somebody like, um, and this happened in the early church. You know, we, we tend to think that the early church was just all perfect. You know, when in, in Acts chapter 20, you have Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, and he says, Beware, from amongst your very number, guys are going to rise up. Yeah. And later on, 
Paul actually sends Timothy to Ephesus, and that's First Timothy. Yeah. That's the context of First Timothy. Yeah. In the first chapter of First Timothy, he says, I, I charged you to call on some people not to teach. Yeah. And that's the whole reason he sent Timothy to Ephesus. Yeah. This problem was a problem in the early church. Mm-hmm. Timothy needed to go, and he's, we know him as Timid Timothy. And that's one of the reasons that you have First Timothy written to him was to give him courage to go and be bold about taking the church forward. I think that Timothy may have well felt like just quitting Ephesus and going somewhere else. Maybe I'll yeah. go be the pastor at Galatia yeah. instead of, you know, maybe I'll go to Philippi. That seems like a nice <laughs> church compared to the church at Ephesus. But he was charged, tell certain men to stop teaching. Yeah. And he needed to have boldness to stand according to even what we were talking about earlier with, is there a different Jesus? Is there a different gospel? Is there No. When somebody gets up and they start giving something other yeah. than what God has given in his word, we ought to have the boldness as elders within the congregation to say, no, not on my watch. Scripture gives us the indication that there was even disagreement between Paul and Peter, wasn't it? I oh, mean, no, that, at, that's at the point. sheep disagreeing yeah. with one, one so, another. So, and, and that's a marvelous point to bring up because you have Paul. Paul actually rebuking Peter later on, and this is in the book of Acts, Poor because Peter. Peter, yeah, I mean, Peter, <laughs> hey, man, that guy, we, we thank God for Peter. I thank God for him so much because you can just see uh, how merciful the Lord is because Peter, you know, this is Acts 10. He goes to Cornelius. He's given this vision of the, the sheet coming down with all the different yeah. animals, in, and God says he's hungry. He's, he's like, I'm not going to eat that. He, God says, well, if I've made it clean, how can you say it's unclean? Get up, kill, eat. We, you know, let's get on with this. And then he sees that God is sending the Holy Spirit now to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles would be included into the church. And he goes, well, you know, generally a Jew, a good Jew would never, ever go and eat with the Gentiles. Yeah. They they completely unclean in that sense. But now God is saying, I'm giving my Holy Spirit to the Gentiles and Cornelius and his whole household are born again. They are baptized by the Holy Spirit. They um, and and they are baptized with water as professing believers, and they are joined to the the number. and And Peter's busy eating with them, having a good time with them, until a certain party of the Jews come, or let's say the Jewish converts to Christianity come part of that what was known as the circumcision party in the new testament and that's one of the first issues that we have actually in the new testament is this issue between the the hebrew christians and the hellenistic christians that spoke with a with a greek tongue and that, that was back in acts chapter 6 but yeah we have him with the gentiles and suddenly he removes himself from eating with them and Paul comes and he actually challenges Peter to his face about this. Yeah. And praise God. And he does this in front of everybody. And because yeah, you, this is you a use very the word, sin. You use the word sheep dealing with sheep. Man, that's in a, a straightforward way, mm. but not in a vengeful way. Says, no, brother, yeah, not at all. Hey, brother, yeah. return to the yes, scriptures. And he called him to repent. Yeah. And, and Peter did. He repented yeah. of his sin in yeah. that way. Now, there was another disagreement later on with Paul and Barnabas. Yeah. That's another example where we're not sure if Barnabas was right or if Paul was right. But even there, there was a godly way that they dealt with that conflict that was, let's say, the disagreement. Yeah. Because I'd, I would make a difference between a conflict and a disagreement. A, um, a disagreement doesn't isn't necessarily sinful as yeah. soon as it becomes a conflict it becomes, becomes sinful. Sin. and yeah. and usually what happens is when you've injected um, selfish into a disagreement 
that's when it becomes a sinful conflict. So if you think about that, even in a home setting between you and your wife or between you and a child or between you and anybody else, the minute that you inject selfishness into a disagreement is when it becomes a sinful conflict. And we can step back from that as well and look to the Lord Jesus to help us kind of back from that. Rocky, bless your heart. Thank you so much for addressing those uh, points. We'll get to the book of Philemon. I hope uh, Philemon, I I pronounce it uh, correctly. Uh, A simple question. And uh, just before we get to that, as you ask it, you will instill scripture to me 12 years for Marach. On the Suki scripture, same with you. And listen, it's good to listen to Rocky and Vailant and Radio Pulpit, but you need to search the scriptures yourself to make sure if these things are so. Whether you are in the gospel, whether you're following the Jesus of the Bible. So search the scriptures yourself, Acts 17, 11. Uh, the last question that this brother's asked, uh, and that is, on the book of Philemon. Why don't people preach or teach on the book of Philemon? Ek het toe gaan kyk in my Afrikaanse Bijbel, die brief van die apostel Paulus aan Philemon. Die bekeerde slaaf. Paulus pleit vir Onesimus, wat van sy jera weggeloop het. Why don't people preach on this? Is there any truth in it? Or is it just certain churches that they don't preach on it? So so I'm not aware necessarily, and and maybe that's the, the context again, um, of this, this brother maybe has not heard a sermon on Philemon for a very long time. Now, the the book of Philemon is is a very short yet powerful letter, as you mentioned, written by the Apostle Paul to Philemon, a, a believer whose slave Onesimus had run away, and this slave was, had met Paul in the prison, and it looks like uh, Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus came to faith in Christ, and so he sends Onesimus back with this letter to his his slave owner as such, uh, Philemon, and there's this reconciliation, forgiveness that takes place. Now, in our current times, and I think that this is maybe why we don't see a book like this being preached on, if it is, um, if there's validity to that yeah. in that sense. The slavery issue. Many times there's, there's just this topical preaching that has become very popular in our day. And it focuses on, on like specific themes and issues from various parts of the Bible. While there sometimes can be a merit to that, and I don't want to like downplay topical preaching yeah. fully, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of that at all. I believe that the most biblical way for a congregation to really grow and be matured is through what is called expository preaching. And expository preaching involves a verse-by-verse exploration of an entire biblical text. Now, in churches that do that, they would do that with the book of Philemon. Yeah. And you could probably go and find that churches have done that, and they've gone verse-by-verse in, in a book like that. And through expository preaching, we then immerse ourselves in the context, the historical background, the intended meaning of the scripture. And I think because many times pastors are, and I don't want to knock everybody, but I guess I am, many times there's people that are just lazy and they don't go to God's word and they don't want to do the hard slog work of working in depth verse by verse. And so they don't want to deal with a whole book like Philemon. And then we, we discover in a book like that just invaluable principles for our own lives. And we should be studying a book like Philemon. I mean, that little book has a powerful message of love and reconciliation and forgiveness. It's a living testimony of how God's word can transform hearts and how he can unite these, these people and how he works within those that are slaves and he works within those that are rich. He works within those that are prisoners. He's, 
you know, so you should not ignore a book like this. And I do think that sometimes it does get ignored in a day like today because people are doing too much topical. And they just, they're not in God's word in a specific book like they ought to. Other reasons that may be commonly why it, why it isn't preached, maybe it's because it's such a brief book that it gets skipped. Maybe it, it is that the listeners didn't hear it getting preached because they weren't there when they went to that book, <laughs> yeah. because that book got, got preached, but you weren't there necessarily. And I guess maybe some of the themes, like you said on slavery, maybe that's become a bit uncomfortable to preach about. So these are just speculations that I'm making regarding this. But I would preach this book. I'm busy at the moment with First Timothy, and um, maybe when I'm done with First Timothy, I'll do Second Timothy, and yeah. then maybe I'll get to Philemon. And I wouldn't have any problem with preaching through the book of Philemon. It's a wonderful book. Yeah, I've heard a, a, a sermon on Philemon, and I made a huge note in my Bible. I just opened it up as you speak on Philemon, and it says here. Resentment is like allowing someone to live rent-free inside your head. I wonder why I wrote this. I probably need to go listen to another sermon on uh, Philemon Philemon again. Wonderful. Bless your heart. Thank you so much, Rocky, for that one. I hope that uh, answers it all. And uh, the number in studio, as jy vraag wil het, uit die woord van die heren, en jy wil het instuur, 082-657-2729. Linda, we see you. Jamie de Jong, we see you. Somebody else who had also, uh, with no name to it, just a telephone number, uh, we see your question question there with regards to the first church and the Crete and uh, the different Cretes that was birthed from that. But let's go to this one. Kom ek kyk gauw hier so wie dit vir ons gestuur en let me, is it Sissel that sent this one in? Sissel says more of Weiland Revelations 9.16 is the teaching of horses, riders, people or spiritual beings. What is it exactly all about? Am I understanding it correctly? What is this asking us? Yeah, I think he's asking about um, verse 16 of Revelation 9, which says, and the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And he's asking, well, is this, are these people or are these spiritual beings? And it's good for us to then read the, the, the broader context of this, which would be verse 15, all the way down to verse 18 because it speaks about the four um, the four angels it says there and the four angels were released who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year so that they would kill a third of mankind and the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million I heard the number of them and this is how I saw in the vision of the horses and those who sit on them the riders had breastplates the color of fire and the high and of brimstone and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions and out of the mouth comes fire and smoke and brimstone a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which comes out of the mouths and and so you do see a very terrifying scene within the tribulation period and you've got these 200 million horsemen are described as even a part of that army that was released to bring judgment upon mankind during the period of the sixth trumpet judgment. And so this passage doesn't explicitly mention whether these horsemen are people or spiritual beings, uh, but there's various different translations of this by different scholars, by different individuals, but some would interpret these horsemen as representing uh, uh, human military forces, 
So that's how some people would look at this passage, and others would even consider this as being symbolic of spiritual beings or of angels that are acting as instruments of divine judgment. I would go more along with the lines of this being um, a divine judgment of God of those that have been even locked up before. And so I would see this as an angelic, uh, demonic kind of a force that is released by God during this time of the tribulation. And these horsemen being symbolic even then of that like ap- apocalyptic kind of a impact that happens in God's divine judgment upon the world at that time. So um, so that that's where I fall on, on this. I would say that this is more demonic kind of a um, judgment that God releases. And um, yeah, definitely a difficult time in the history of the world at that time and a judgment period of God at that time. The joy for us as Christians is that we have been spared from this. And that's what the book of 1 Thessalonians teaches us, is that before the time of the seven-year tribulation, the church is raptured, 1 Thessalonians 4, because we are not destined for wrath. And so God judges the earth during that seven-year tribulation. It's an absolutely horrendous period. Somebody said it will make the Jewish Holocaust look like a Sunday school picnic. I mean, you think there a third of the world's population is destroyed. Through yeah. this um, judgment, is period. is there an army at the moment with two hundred million people souls? Um, no, no, there's none that I'm aware of yeah. um, on the earth at, at this time. Yeah. But um, but you see, this this is a fascinating subject, and we could probably spend a whole uh, a whole time in scripture look on it. But you look at those that First Peter talks about, and Jude talks about, and it talks about those fallen angels that are actually locked up because they had left their first estate. Yeah. And and I, w- I would see this as part of that, where there, there are certain demonic forces that God actually holds back from the earth at this stage that are, in a sense, locked up yeah. until this time of judgment. And they wreak such a havoc on the earth when they are released. And Frightening you stuff. you think of how God allows them to actually, you know, it talks about how he lets them kill so that they would kill a third of mankind there's a purpose behind god actually even in this judgment allowing them to take on and kill up to a third now you think of if the world has a population at that time of let's say nine billion people i mean i'm just making an estimate a third would be like a three three billion people that would be allowed to be killed by this plague of these Demonic forces, in a sense, that Three are released. Billion, you know that that is That's quite something. Yeah, you know. Um, right. And if you think now, two hundred million is the size of this army. Um, how quickly this would happen? A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues. I All mean, right. that's that's horrendous. Sissel, I hope that makes sense. Bye, dankie vir die vraag. Dankie wat jy ingestuur het, openbaring 9 vers 16, groot waardering daarvoor. Ikasa sê, ons moet ook muziek speel in hierdie program. Ons gehoorzaam graag ook aan die overhede, ons licensie uitsaai voorwaardes, en ek het iets speciaal op die draaitafel vir jou. Yes, you know this one. Jy ken vir hom, en uh, ons speel dit graag vir jou. Nou ja, dit lyk vir my, daar het hy nou verdwijn, so kom ons probeer hierdie knop en miskien werk dit dan O, Aase gemeente muziek Emmanuel, geniet om saam met ons God with us And if you've got a question You want us to answer in this program 082-657-2729 As easy as the touch of a button The message of life On 657 AM
That's where you tune to, 657 AM, 657 AM Radio Council, and Pastor Rocky Stevenson van Benoni Bible Church. In hierdie program, kyk ons na vraag, is het leefstijl vraag, is het skrifteerlijke vraag, ergens het iemand iets gesê, uh, wat dalk nie sin maak, of jy weet nie hoe dit werk, of wat om te dink daarvan, hoe antwoord ek het, please explain the rapture. Uh, will this happen before Jesus returns? Now we've tackled this question, we've had it before. Jamie de Jong, bless your heart, so we're going to work on a quick answer there for you. Mabai Danke, thank you so much yeah. for taking yeah. part in the program. So just as a brief answer to that, the rapture is an event where Jesus Christ will gather his church, both living and dead believers. And now when we talk about the church, we're talking about all of those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ from Jews or Gentiles since Acts chapter 2, where we have Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit. That's where the church age begins in Acts chapter 2. And the church age ends when the last believer believes in Christ before the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And that is then the church, and Jesus then raptures his church to himself, both the living and the dead believers, from the earth to meet him in the air. This event is then the rapture, and the rapture then marks the beginning point of what is called the Great Tribulation, which is the 70th week of Daniel. It's a seven-year period. This will happen according to what the Scriptures teach us, and that Great Tribulation period is a period of seven years. So the answer to your question, Jamie, is that... um, that yes, the rapture happens before the second coming of Jesus. This happens in the sky. He comes back. He raptures his church to himself. He takes his church with him, which we then take part of what is called the marriage feast of the Lamb, while the seven-year tribulation period happens on the earth. And then there is the second coming of the Lord Jesus, where he puts his feet onto the Mount of Olives, as we see it. So let me give two references to that. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, speaking about the church, and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. And then verse 18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. And Thessalonians teaches us that we are not destined for wrath, we are removed before the tribulation period. And then another passage that is a good reference for this is 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 to 52 which says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For the corruptible must put on the incorruptible and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible puts on the incorruptible and this mortal puts on in immortality, then will come about the word that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now I read further, because I just couldn't help myself from verse 51 to 58, because the point of eschatological writings, and what we see regarding the rapture, is hope 
It gives you hope to hold on to the fact that you are one day going to be with the Lord Jesus. So what should you do today as a Christian? You should live to his glory. There is a coming day. There is a coming day when the Lord Jesus will rapture his church to himself. So you can have boldness today to live for the Lord Jesus and to do what he has called you to do, which is to be light, to be salt in this world. And so that's the hope of the the teaching, the eschatological teaching that we have within the word of God. So I hope that helps explain the rapture once more. Um, to to the listener. Now, say Jamie de Jong. I hope this the answer to what for your tevredes or self. Well, it comes with the word from the right, and uh, we've searched the scriptures. It would be a good thing if you check the scriptures yourself and make sure that these things are so. Ons het een prachtige vraag gekry van Marianne de Toe, wat sê Morgen, openbaring 21 vers 1, waarom sou die jimmel die jimmel niet gemaakt word? Why would the heavens be made new? Hmm. Uh, this understanding, yes, this earth is corrupted and uh, it's falling to pieces, but why the heavens, Rocky? What is the, yeah. Does the scripture have an answer for us? Yeah, so let me read the passage. It says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for the husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things passed away now I read a little bit further and I absolutely love this passage it's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because I do think that everything that we are going through in this world since the creation, or let's say since the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, until this point in the scriptures can be summarized by that little word, tears. All that we have is tears at this time, but that will be wiped away and made new. But the question specifically asks, why does heaven need to be renewed? Now, you need to remember as well that the first sin that occurred, where did that occur? Did that happen on earth or did that happen in heaven? I would say heaven. And the answer is heaven. The angelic beings. Yes, the angelic beings. A third of heaven, a third of heaven's angels fell with Lucifer. Mm. And so sin first occurred in the heavenly realm, and then he who was cast from heaven, and we see that in Ezekiel, we see throughout the scriptures the way that Satan was cast to the earth. He came and he then tempted Adam and Eve. Now sin entered this human race because Eve was deceived, And she listened to the voice of the evil one. Adam, who was with her, standing right there with her. And we need to not forget that Adam was right there. He should have stepped in between Satan and Eve. And he should have lopped off the head of the serpent right there in the garden and taken the dominion he should have had. But instead, he allowed her to give him the apple and he willingly sinned. Can I make a remark here? Somebody said the other day, be careful of the evil one who talked a third of the angelic beings who lived in the very presence like Eve was in the presence of Adam. Yes. And he didn't do any, he didn't do something about it right there. Uh, the angelic beings was in the presence of the Lamb of God, God Himself. Yeah. And they allowed Satan to talk them out of heaven. Yes. Imagine what they can do, he can yeah. do to mankind. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that is absolutely, I mean, we gotta be, we mustn't be unawares 
of the vile ways that the, that the devil works in yeah. our world. And we need to be very careful to stick to the scriptures. And our Lord Jesus taught us that. I mean, you look at Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted and he there responds each time. The scriptures say, the word is said, the word yeah. is said. And yeah. he knew the Bible. And, and funny enough, Satan even used the Bible with Jesus in the temptation. Yeah. But how did you, how did Satan use the Bible? He used it out of context. Yeah. And so there's a scary thought for us. And, and I mean, this program, Skriftilik, um, encourages our listeners to go and actually study the Bible within its context. If you quote the Bible out of the context that God intended it to mean, you do the very same thing that Satan does. That's a scary thought. Wow. Because Satan uses the Bible out of context. He's the angel of light, as we said. So he has a few reasons why... The heavens and the earth are made new. The effect of sin, that's the, that's the first major reason, because the current heaven and the earth is tainted by sin and the consequences of it. We see that back in Genesis 3. We see that also in Romans 8, verse 20 to 21, where, where all is, has been corrupted and decaying. And so the new heaven and the new earth will be free from the effects of sin and will be perfect and uncorrupted. You wanted to mention something there. Vagrant. No, 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 no. I'm listening to you. That's okay. good. So the second would be the final judgment. And that's the, that, that the prior to the creation of the new earth and the new heaven, there will be a final judgment where the, the evil and the unrighteousness that there is within the old heaven and the old earth will be absolutely judged. And that's, we see that in Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. So the new creation is a part of God's plan to make all things right. You know, that deep desire within us, where we look at the brokenness of, the, of this world, and, there's, and, and Romans 8 speaks about this, we groan inwardly with all of creation for the day of redemption. There's a groaning. I love Romans 8, because you can see the groaning of the Spirit of God, you can see the groaning of creation, and then you see the groaning of the Christian. There's a groaning where we go, God, please make all things new. And we're actually sick and tired of our own sin as well, back in Romans chapter 7, where he says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? God will make all things new and there's a final judgment that takes place in Romans sorry Revelation 20 verse 11 to 15 and God makes everything right and isn't that marvelous that he makes everything right but then God also promised to renew and so that's another reason that the new that the heavens are made new is because God promised this and throughout the Bible there's promises that God makes of renewal and of restoration back in Isaiah 65 verse 17 you see God speaking about a creation of a new heaven and a new earth Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13, where he speaks again also of this promise of a new heaven and a new earth. And so one of the reasons that there's a new heaven is because God promised that there'd be a new heaven. And if you can think of how marvelous the current heaven is and the current earth is, how marvelous will that new heaven and that new earth be? And then the last reason would be the eternal dwelling place for all the redeemed as well as our great God. And there will be absolutely no sin anymore at all the new heaven and the new earth will be an eternal dwelling place of god's people and we it will be a place of eternal joy of fellowship with god and we see that in revelation 21 3 to 4 a perfect place where there will be absolutely no sin at all and absolute faith in jesus so i hope that helps answer the question bless your heart rocky thank you so much for that and with that can you believe it an hour disappeared into all eternity never to be repeated again rocky somebody wants to write your email quickly where can they get hold of you You're welcome to do that at pastor at benoni bible church.co.za and thank you to the listeners that do send in emails we do strive to deal with them as well all right now all that's left to say is go and search the scriptures Acts 17 
10, 11 to see if these things are so. Thank you for listening to this program. Till next week, God bless you. Shalom.